the word, it, it comes as it, as it does. It's not, um, created by my own thought, just what the Lord speaks to my spirit. And I don't know how he speaks to you or how he how he talks to you in some way but I I've been listening for his voice a long time and um, amen if that's the Lord (laughs) and he impresses upon me things and uh, it's it's instant, and the word comes through my mind, and and the Lord just put this as I was reading and praying, and I paused and just pray, prayed, Lord, talk to me, and He impressed these words to talk to you today and tell you what happens. When sons complain. And I replied, that's not a very good title. And, and to this point, uh, he has never taken my suggestions. Though I have offered them a lot. So I'm reading from his Bible, his word, and his impression. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 41. And I'll read from the King James, though my daily reading has become the new King James, but I think this encapsulates everything that we need to know. In fact, there's no uncertainty here. It came to pass... Whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. So, when the cattle were feeble, he didn't put those rods out there. And the feebler cattle, or the cows that were not very strong, they belonged to Laban. Essentially, uh, Jacob's flocks, his cattle grew strong. They were, they were meaty. They were, they were able. And the man, meaning Jacob, increased exceedingly. And he had much cattle, maidservants, men servants, camels, asses, And he heard the words of Laban's son, saying. He overheard the sons complaining. Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's. And of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. When sons complain. Amen. Uh, If you, if you'll just ask the Lord to help us for a moment and we'll seek the the hand of the Lord and the grace of God the wisdom of the Lord um, 
as we hear the word. And everyone just say in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Be kind to a neighbor before you're seated and say something pleasant to them. In context, Jacob was at the end of his many years of service or working for his father-in-law. It it wasn't just a business venture as we might view it, um, but his work began out of deception. The deceiver had been deceived and he consented to work for seven years. And then the time went on, then it was 14, then longer. Laban is painted in the hues reserved for the scoundrel. He was by no means, no small measure, an unprincipled man. If there be any fairness to him, it would be that his sons first began to complain about the financial growth of Jacob long before Laban ever joined their chorus. Just to be clear, Laban is not the upstanding father or father-in-law that he ought to have been. But in the Bible's own explanation, the sons were jealous And it caused a conclusive division in the family. These sons of Laban would have been Jacob's brothers-in-law. And it also should be noted that the reason for Jacob's personal growth and expansion had very little to do with his own ability. All of his gain was tied to the hand of God. His growth, his gain, his expansion was all related to the covenant and the blessing bestowed on him from Isaac through his father, from Abraham through his father Isaac. Now Laban knew this. The fact was clear. There was no ambiguity in how all of this was taking place. Hmm. I I cannot imagine a more critical time for us to gather in this house. And I cannot imagine a more critical time in history for us to focus our emotion, our spiritual insight, gather our mental bearings than right now in this hour in which we live. We have to dig a little deeper here in this house. We cannot live half-hearted or unaware I ought not to have say this, but we're living in a time of great chaos. The world has shifted before our eyes. We, we have leaped forward in debauchery. Think now. We need to understand who we are and where we are going. I'm, I'm not trying to rile you up or hype you up. Just, I just want you to know this is not a social club. 
where you fill out your weekly schedule and there are no dues given here. Your return of tithing is not a due. That's an obligation demanded by God. The gospel is free. (laughs) Inclusion is by the blood. And you didn't do that by yourself. And there's none other than the body of Jesus Christ. And what's happening here is the body of Jesus Christ is operating kingdom work in the last hour of time. Hebrews 12 states that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, which had its origins in the original covenant given to Abraham, that a people would be called out. We are a people called out. God ordained this. God ordered it. He wanted a people that was called out from the world of separated people devoted to his law and to his word. So he made a covenant with Abraham and it was given to Isaac and then to Jacob. And in those ancient times, when God did that with Abraham, in those ancient times when two men came together to make such commitments, they would dig a small ditch and then kill a lamb and they'd pour the blood of the lamb in the opening of that. And then both of them would, would walk into that as witnesses But when God made the covenant of Abraham, he put Abraham into a deep sleep and God became his own witness. Abraham didn't seal it. God sealed it by himself. Here's Ephesians 1.11. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. God listens to his own counsel. He takes his own advice. His will is his command. He is his own witness. He moved by the counsel of his own will. We've got to get somewhere today, but but it won't come in the shallow waters of religion. We are part of something great, and we are held and and, and are held in the palm of the Lord's hand. We are somebody, and we are going somewhere. I, I, I just, I have to, I have to get this to you today. But this is not a solo cup doctrine. This is not a throwaway religion. What I'm preaching today is not a modernized world filled with conveniences. There are no cliff notes here and there are no bypasses here. It's what we're experiencing in in the Christian world today. People are so deluded. They don't know the word. They just want the highlights of it. You're not going to get God in highlights. The depth in God. Our God is a sovereign God. And he is able to do all things. This is what the book of Revelation says. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they were created. All of this. God did all of this. For his pleasure he created it. The psalmist said, for the Lord taketh pleasure in his people, he will beautify the meek with salvation. It just makes him happy to save you. Saving you brings him pleasure. Bringing you out of conflict and turmoil and trouble is his delight. He has made all things and he does not need the validation of people or governments or times or leaders. All the elements, earth, wind, fire, all of the rain, bow before his simple command. Creation seeks no explanation for his existence. God gives a promise and there is no regret. In fact, his promises are never suspect. They are never in jeopardy because he did not make them with our affirmation. He made them all by himself. All the promises of God are yea and amen. 
You didn't make an agreement with him. He made an agreement by himself for you because he could not rely upon your consistency. <laughs> Wait. He could not rely upon a preacher to get it right. Uh oh. He couldn't rely upon good people with good intentions, so he did it all by himself. Say it with me, everybody. All his promises are yes. Say they're final. Say they're yea and amen. See, God made a covenant to Abraham, and we are the grafted children of Abraham. But we have something that they did not have. We have the fulfillment of what they were looking for. Here's your Bible. These all died in faith, Hebrews eleven thirteen, Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And they were persuaded of what we have. Embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It came to fruition in what we know as the church that Jesus came to build. I'm not talking about this location. I'm preaching about the bride and the promise and the reason of our gathering. It's called the church. It's not a building or a structure made with hands. It has lasted through tumultuous times. It has survived under the heavy hand of ruthless men. It came by way of devotion and fervency. This was dug out through prayer and sacrifice. What you are a part of today came at the cost of lives, blood, sweat, tears. It came... It came at the cost of affliction. It came about through the revealed name of Jesus Christ. Declaring, hear this, his lordship. It's greater than denomination or personal persuasion. I'm not preaching about denomination. I'm not preaching about your personal ideas. I'm talking about what God has done for us. Who you are and where we're going. Yes. Yes. And this word that I preach is not based upon the integrity of a congregation, no matter how high that is. Because the church that Jesus built endured the fallacies of false doctrines and philosophies. It rose above the trappings of ambition. We didn't do that. The efforts of people didn't bring that about. God made it so. And in reference to our text, Jace, Jacob's gain though needful and apparent, was simply tied to the covenant which existed before he was born. Now, I hope you can hear this with your spiritual ears because I'm not retelling a storyline here. This is not a rehearsal of some weekly book report from me to you. The Holy Spirit is challenging the body to consider the greater and not get mired in the lesser. The lesser will consume you. It will devour your faith and your faithfulness. It will seek to manage your commitment by virtue of the gain or loss experienced in your moment today. How are we doing? There's no, there's no, there's no advertisement breaks in this sermon. You have, you have to follow this down now. Jacob is learning the process of the very thing that the Lord is showing us today. Jacob's multiplication of flocks of sheep and cattle was not of his own doing, but rather it was the direct result of God's hand and his relationship to the promise of God. Jacob's growing. Yes, he's prospering. Yes, he is advancing. Everything he's touching is increasing, but all of it is tied to the omnipotent, immutable God who made a covenant with his grandfather, Abraham. And off in the distance is this bewildering scene where Laban's sons are at odds with Jacob's increase. 
Laban is aware of it. And still he has allowed his sons the right to complain. Laban knows the story. He knows the truth. Read the previous conversation. Listen to Laban's own words in Genesis 30, 27. He said to Jacob, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy eyes, tarry, stay here. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. I've learned, please stay here. I'm blessed because the Lord is with you. My blessing is connected with you. The Lord has blessed me because of you. It was the covenant that brought the blessing. Jacob was still maturing. He had a long way to go. And he was a long way from appreciating the depths of God's plan. Even Jacob doesn't even know the extent of what he holds. And Laban, knowing that it was a God connection, should have quieted his sons. But they were so bent on proving a point that they thwarted the family's good fortune. They were concerned about things. Numbers, plots of land. They were concerned with hay and feed and watering places and hills and, and, and who had access and who should be denied. They were angry about attention and who was being left out. All the while ignoring the fact that the keeper of the covenant was in their midst. And I say again, Jacob did not and could not fully appreciate what he held in his hands. But Laban declared it. The Lord has blessed me because of you. But the sons, they were so immature. They were so shallow. They acted like children bickering and taking sides and engrossed with proving their point. Sons, the sons complained. Someone should have told those sons to grow up. That just felt good. (laughs) Somebody should have told him, grow up. What are you doing? Complaining about who? You got all of that. You got all of this blessing. The hand of God and the inclusion into the promise was greater than the circumstances of the moment. But the sons complained, and in time, they complained themselves right out of the circumference of the blessing. They acted like school children on a playground, juvenile, short-sighted, foolish, mouthy, unappreciative of what was happening with the family farm and the family business. Laban knew better, but the sons kept complaining. And their complaint became the division between Jacob and Laban, which ultimately resulted in the loss of Laban's own blessing. The sons, constantly murmuring, riled their father up, and in his haste, he added to the departure to the one thing which gave him and his family value. Sons, they just can't keep quiet, always murmuring, bickering, complaining. Sons, which were oblivious to the greater and consumed with the lesser. I told you, Lord, this was, this was a, 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 they wouldn't like this at all. Sons, they just see the trivial and ignore the magnificent. 
They live under the umbrella of a God-initiated, God-ordained blessing of whom he substantiates the promise all by himself, but they're still murmuring. They frustrate the grace of God and oppose themselves from their own carnal nature, like the dripping of the loosened faucet pounding out a retort of nonsense when the God of glory is resting upon them. Scroll back a ways in your Bible. You'll find the originator. It's Abraham. Now, he's without child at the time of this writing. He's known as Abram. But he does have a nephew whose name is Lot. And he raises Lot as his own son. He takes him on in every measure as a father would. In fact, the Jewish scholars and scribes declared that Abraham adopted Lot as his own offspring in order to accurately obey the voice of God, who told Abraham to leave your father's family, go to a land that I will show thee. And in the process of time, Abraham became very wealthy. And Lot tagged behind him. Lot was living off of the blessing of Abraham. He was living in the overflow of the one who God favored. Lot had nothing until God gave something to Abraham. It was just spilling over like the flowing of a mighty fountain. But as the flocks grew and the servants became anxious and disturbed. Here it is in your Bible. There was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And Abraham said to Lot... Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my men and your men. We're, we're all, we're family. Let's not have any disputes, Lot. And much to the dismay of a million preachers and teachers hammering out Sunday sermons and lessons about the eventual tragedy of Lot and his wife and his daughters and of Sodom and Gomorrah, much to their dismay, Lot leaned into the complaints of the herdsmen and he complied with his uncles, his fathers, With Abraham's suggested division, let's separate. Lot should have fallen to his knees and begged not to divide. He should have cried out and rejected such terms. But he failed to understand that his personal blessing was his connection to the covenant. He did not bring it about by himself. Lot's family and his future lay in the hand of the one who was given the promise. But Lot was so shallow and so proud he could not see it. He was looking at the moment. Lot allowed his servants and the herdsmen to persuade him that he was sufficient enough without Abraham. None of them could grasp the power of God's enduring promise. So they acted rash and reckless. They measured out the land and what was best for each of them. They complained about whose sheep could graze and about watering holes. And it caused them to foil the only relationship that would ever matter. They said, it's kind of tight in here. The sons just threw it away. They complained their right, they complained themselves right into poverty. And in the process, they severed the connection to the one who in fact invoked the blessing. The final chapter of Lot finds him with nothing but the loss of his wife and two dysfunctional and immoral corrupt daughters. Murmuring sons. Born into the promise, but too selfish to consider how it all came to be. They feasted off of the, off of, uh, off of Abraham's blessing, but then they diluted their ideas and they became superficial in lifestyle. They are moved by the here and now. They never consider the wonder of God's provision, the God who sees, the God who protects, the God who keeps, the God who heals. They, they have no idea, but they just, Sure, Abraham, you just go your way. We'll find our own way as if it was going to result in something good, not knowing the end of their story. 
But we read the end of their story and we're looking at those sons and we're looking at the sons of Laban and we're looking at Lot and all of his herdsmen and all the people and we're scratching our heads and saying, why would you ever leave the circumference of the covenant? I think the Holy Spirit is challenging the body to consider the greater and not get mired in the lesser. And there's a lot of lesser and a lot of mire today. Our priorities must shift. And if we are not careful, we will become entangled in the moment. And it's hard to see the greater when you're led by the moment. Sons should never squander the grace that has been given. You are saved by grace and not of yourselves, not by goodness or ability or name recognition. You aren't saved by family lineage, ladies and gentlemen. It's not by religious decree. You are saved by grace. The Bible says it is the gift of God. But if sons and joint heirs, all of which stand to inherit the kingdom, oh my, if they look at the moment that they're in, they will complain their way right into poverty. The great God of heaven and earth is our God. You and I are sons and daughters and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. But the moment, it's messing us up. It's confusing our brain. People are asking if God's still good or if God sees them or if God's around. Or if God's true, or if his promises are still real, we're asking God. We're looking around, wondering, well, I think we can do this by ourselves. I don't need the church. I don't, I, I, I don't need the bride. I don't need a sermon. I don't need a lesson. I can do all this by myself. I'm sufficient. As if you think you made it this far by yourself. Let me just stand up and let me, let me tell you. I know this is, this is an unsavory statement for me to make to a few people. You did not get here by yourself. You weren't good enough and you're never going to be good enough. But by the grace of the almighty God, God, he picked you up and raised you up and brought you in. You did not inherit this because you are good. Your family was not good enough. I want to be, I'm trying to be kind, but I just want you to know you didn't pay. You can't pay to get into this. You don't have enough money to pay to get into this. You don't have enough goodness to get into this. You were not grafted into the body because of something you did in your past. You were never faithful enough. Hold on. You can say, well, I've always been there. I never backslide. I never gave up. Hold on. You were never faithful enough. It wasn't about your faithfulness. It was about his faithfulness. Because you were asleep when he made the covenant. You didn't know. In fact, you were a sinner when he died on the cross. And you were lost when he decided, I'm going to make the promise and the covenant for you. Yay! Come on, sons. Come on, sons. You got to start looking somewhere else. You ought to, you've been looking at your moment and it's messing you up. I know the present has a way of blocking the future doesn't it read the book of titus chapter 2 for the grace of god that bringeth salvation hath appeared to everybody and the grace of god that bringeth salvation is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust no i'm not doing that This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to live soberly, 
righteously and godly in this present world. And this here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it by looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for deflation and the gas prices to go down. You're looking forward to another election or somebody else to represent you. Or you're looking for some vacation. Or you're looking for a better job. You ought not be looking for all that stuff. I'll tell you what you ought to be looking for. You ought to be looking for that blessed hope. Where are you looking? What are you looking? You need to know who you are and where you're going. Hold, hold, hold on, everybody. I, 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 we might as well just we might just put this thing right out in the room. Don't trust in a politician. Well, if we just had somebody else, if things would be better. Don't trust in a politician. God has ordained the times. It's not a politician that's going to help you or save you. God has ordained the times. He's going to wrap the whole world up. What? There's not one politician that is your God, not one politician, not one government official that's going to help you. I'll tell you who's going to help you. It is the Lord of hosts, the great God of glory. I'll tell you who you ought to worship. You ought to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one and you're part of the covenant. Yes. (laughs) I'm not done with that. Just tell somebody next to you, you know, he's not done with that. Say it, pastor's not done with that. Because you're going to face trouble and guess what's going to happen? You're going to lose sight of the promise when you face trouble. You're going to experience sickness and when you get sick, you're going to lose sight of the promise and of the covenant. You're going to suffer and have loss and you're going to lose sight of the covenant. And the promise is going to be obscure because you're not looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it depends on where you're looking. (laughs) You know, Moses dealt with this same matter for decades In fact, for four decades, he dealt with this same issue. The Bible says that the children of Israel in Numbers 14, that the people murmured and complained against Moses. And they said, couldn't we just have died in Egypt? But you, Moses, you brought us out to this desert. They didn't know that the desert was the path to the promise. But they complained their way right out of the promise. Now, they didn't have to complain. There was enough evidence to keep them from it, but they rejected what was in their hand. They were living for the moment, and those moments dictated their spirit. It was hardship. They wished for their former imprisonment. They were barren, and in their barren moments... And eating manna every day. They dreamed of fresh food in their prior life. Which in fact was a, was a false dream. Because they never had what they said they had. Don't you wish we could go back to onions and leeks. And have all the 
wonderful meats and food that we used to have. All of that was a lie. When you go through hard times in Christ, you'll remember things that never existed. It was so much better when I wasn't serving God. No, it was not. You lie. You lie, you fry. Liar, lie, pants on you. What are you talking about? You were messed up and you confessed you were messed up when you got here. Now you go through some trouble and you're looking around at the moment. Man, it was so much better when I was living in the world. No, it was not. Family was wrecked. Conscience was out of order. Had nothing, had nobody. Had no future, had no hope, had no help, but you found the Lord and he brought you out and you got saved and then things are good and you're believing on the Lord. But all of a sudden you went through a little, tr- not, maybe not even a little, a lot of trouble. And you look back and say, well, we, we had all the onions and all the meat and all the bread and all the good stuff. But we found the Lord and now things have gone terrible. No, they're not. You're in the desert, but the desert leads to the promise. You're in the covenant. Stay in the covenant. But... But sons like to complain. Even though God fights their battles. And Moses looked at the people and no wonder why he was so frustrated so many times. They drove him to madness. I understand Moses. God's going to restore Moses. But you know he, he, he himself was so angry with their murmuring and complaining. The second time when God said, speak to the rock, he, out of just anger, he just took his staff and just beat that thing. I'm glad he hit the rock. I mean, I'm not, it wasn't appropriate, but at least he didn't hit the people. <laughs> all the blessings of God, all the wonder of God. All the incredible things of God. All the signs of God. Signs in the sky, plagues on the earth. All the miracles and healings. Oh my goodness. All the cancer being healed. All the lame walking. All the people who were put into positions that didn't qualify for those positions. All the marriages that have been brought together that should have been severed a long time ago. All the children that have been restored and people that are, that are on their way of restoration. God putting things in his sons and daughters' hands that they didn't earn. And they're just saying, I can't believe it. That God's so good. Leading them by a pillar of fire and cloud and open up red seas everywhere and walking you through on dry ground and making things out of nothing. And God's just doing all that. And even in times of wonder, they didn't understand the working of God's plan. Hovering clouds, wind, fire, manna from heaven, gushing water from a flint rock, all of which were impossible to comprehend. And still, the earth once swallowed up people who resisted Moses. And, every, and everyone still thinks, well, we can still complain. They were looking at their feet and their condition. They were viewing their moment without regard to the mighty hand of God. And in their moment of distress, the people complained. <laughs> uh, I'm not feeling very good about this either. Just to set the record straight. But I do have a word. Isaiah chapter 40. We'll just do a little excerpt. We, we got to have help. 
Isaiah 40, 12. I, I wish I could read the whole chapter. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who meted out heaven with a span? Comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. Knew, knew every particle of dust. Weighed the mountains on a scale and hills in the balance. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor taught God anything? With whom did God take counsel? And who instructed him? Taught him the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him to him the way of understanding. Verse 18. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? (laughs) I'll read from a different version. Don't you know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. Spreads them out like a tent to live in. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Lord, the Holy, saith the Holy One. Here's the, here's the last line of this. Lift up your eyes. How about a fresh view of where we are headed? Look up. Behold the King of hosts. He is a magnificent God. His vesture is dipped in blood. Out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. And while I'm happy that we have power and authority over the enemy, Jesus gives us caution even the moment of triumph in our own gifting. I'm glad there are spiritual gifts in the church. Be very careful before you glory, glory in that. Because the seven disciples were sent out and then they came back with joy. They were so excited. And they said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus replied, yes, I've given you power over all of that. Here it is, verse 20 of Luke 10. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. That's not what you should be rejoicing about. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I know you're happy that you got the Holy Ghost. I know you're happy. I, I know you're happy that you got those spiritual gifts and you can rebuke things, but you really ought to be rejoicing that you're going somewhere, that the covenant has been made, that you got a home beyond this home, that there's a help beyond this help. And the power came from God and the authority came from God. But that's not why I'm shouting today. I'm not shouting because we can rebuke the devil. I'm not shouting because there's power over sickness. I'm rejoicing because my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. sons and daughters of God you need to put a new word in your mouth and instead of walking around complaining you ought to say he's the Lord who restores my soul he is the Lord who has granted me access he's given me the covenant listen this may be difficult for some to understand I just but I need to impart this to you you are people of the covenant And the Holy Ghost is the earnest of your inheritance. So as wonderful as the Holy Ghost is in the present time, it's just a small fraction of what you're going to get when you get where you're going. And we're going somewhere. 
And I wish we could be like the former and be persuaded of those things and embrace the day. Well, well, uh, but, but you don't understand, Pastor. I, I'm, I'm, I, I've got a lot of trouble. I've, I've got a lot. My mother used the terms. Sometimes she's in the depths of despair. <laughs> I said, Mom, how you doing? I'm in the depths of despair. It's not really the depths of despair. It's just, it's a, it's a momentary thing. And if she's watching today, you're not in the depths of despair, Mom. It's just, it's... Uh, it's not really the depths of the people of God. You're never really in the depths of despair. Man, if, if you're on your deathbed, you're not in the depths of despair. You're just, you're just standing at the entranceway to your inheritance. You're, I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to be in misery and pain. But I just want you to know this is a temporal life and you're going somewhere. You're, you're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. We, we're going somewhere. This is a great church triumphant. They're going somewhere. There's a heaven beyond this place. There's a home beyond this place. I'm not going to get... You've been looking at all the moments in time and you got conflict in your spirit. I'm going to tell you what happens. You walk into the house of God and you're not giving God glory and honor and praise. Why? Because you've been wallowing all this stuff all week long. Let me tell you about heaven. In heaven, there are no tears in heaven. In heaven, there is no conflict in heaven. There are no divisions in heaven. In the covenant, well, if anyone ought to be supportive of the family, it should be the family. God called Moses. He did not call Aaron or Miriam. They were just along for the ride. God did not speak to Aaron and Miriam through a burning bush. No, he did not. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. <laughs> oh. I'm in the book. Yeah. But Aaron and Miriam got a little bit out of shape because they did not like the woman that Moses married. He was a Jew, a Hebrew, and he married an Ethiopian woman. And they didn't like that. So they thought, in their infinite wisdom, that they would complain about Moses' marriage to an Ethiopian woman. Uh-oh. You, you should get in this Bible. It would straighten out your stinking thinking real quick. And the reason why you have a... The reason why some of... Uh, let, let me be more correct here. The reason why people that we don't know have a problem... People that we've never met, those other people have issues with their personal philosophies. Because those other people who obviously have never come to our church. The reason why they have issues is because they just don't read the Bible. Because if they ever got in the book, they'd understand how sons ought to respond and how sons ought to act. Was, and so Miriam and, 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 and Aaron, you know, they're having a little powwow. Miriam is the, like, she's the song worship leader. And, and Aaron is the high priest. Now, now, they didn't get those jobs because they were called. God didn't call them. Moses appointed them. 
Moses said, listen, Aaron, I, I got a stuttering problem. I'm not real good. I want you to come. You, you'll be my spokesperson. Of course, of course, if you read the scripture, you don't even really ever see Aaron speaking except make an excuse for himself. Moses has a problem. He, he, he doesn't have self-confidence. And, and, and Miriam is really good. I mean, and, and the day, you know, she could play the tambourine like nobody's business. Just Miriam. <laughs> Not you. She knew where the two and the four was. You don't worry about that. She's marching and leading. Woo. She's singing. The horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord. For he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. Go read your Bible. Mm-hmm. But they got together one night. And they're having dinner. And they're like, you know, our, our brother, he thinks he's all that. Do you know who he married, that Ethiopian woman? Why does he think he's so good? They started complaining about their brother. And then God decided to speak. And God came down to speak to the priest and the worship leader, to the preacher and the song leader, and said this. When I talk to prophets, when I talk to other people, I speak in riddles. But when I talk to Moses, I talk to him face to face. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Now, Aaron, I'm not going to curse you with leprosy because you won't be able to serve me and do your duty. But I'll afflict your sons. And Miriam, I'm going to curse you with leprosy because I'm not going to tolerate this stuff. Because I've appointed him and he's leading the people. But you got a problem. You keep opening up your mouth and talking about things you ought not talk about. And then thank God that Moses was so humble. He went to God and prayed and, and Miriam's, Miriam's leprosy went away and everybody was restored. But there's a lesson here. If there should, if there's anybody who should be supporting the covenant keepers, it ought to be the family. Come on, everybody. Here's what we got to do. Know who you are and where you're going. Know that this is a place where the covenant is exemplified and we are worshiping the Lord because he has given us something we could not give ourselves. I wish I had some more people that will help me today in this house. You've been blood bought. You've been brought out. You've been delivered. You've been restored. You've been sanctified. You've been washed. Watch, just stay right there. But the moments, the moments are causing a language to come out of your mouth. That's a detraction to the wonder of his grace. And the conflict of the temporal clouds the wonder and the beauty of the eternal. Let me just help you now. When you get caught in the moment and you get depressed or angry or conflicted, you need to say these words He restoreth my soul.
I didn't do this by myself. You restored my soul. I don't know who's here today, but the Lord wants you to know he's ready to restore your soul. He is the lifter of your head. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Look up and hope to see the glorious coming of Jesus Christ. Look up. The Bible says, lift up your eyes now. Who do you like in the Lord? Nobody, Lord. There ain't nobody like you, Lord. There's nobody, 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 nobody. So lift up your head. Lift up your eyes. Look up and stop getting mired in the moments. Now the Lord is ready to restore someone's soul today. He's ready and prepared to bring a restoration to your thoughts. It's going to be evident after this moment, after the service, because you're going to speak a different word out of your mouth. You're not going to complain. You won't murmur because you've set your affections on things above and you didn't love the things down here. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I don't even have time today to advertise the provision and blessing of the Holy Spirit. I don't have ever, I don't have time to say it. But it's so wonderful. It's so good. I thank you, Lord. Right now, Lord, you've, you've grafted me into the body. Lord, I thank you for all of us today, sons and daughters. We, we did not deserve this, Lord, but we, we became obedient to the faith. And we followed the plan, Lord. We did all that we can do, Lord. But we, we know that without you, Lord, we, we couldn't have even come this far. In fact, in you, we live and move and have our being. Our breath is from you, Lord. Inside of our lungs, you've given us the day and the hour. You've ordained this time, Lord, for us, Lord. Now I pray, restore the souls of the people represented here in this house. If you know that the Lord has spoke to you today and he's restoring your soul and you're ready, right now you're ready to come on back into the covenant. Here's the circum- circumference of the blessing that's happening all around us. Just run, come, run, just run out of your seat and just come and stand and say, I, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been hoping for. You didn't come here by accident, but you came here by the drawing of the Holy Ghost. You, 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 you haven't come yet. I know, I, I, I know there's some folks here. You weren't planning on coming down the front, but I want you to come down to the front because the Lord is about to restore your soul. He's the God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. You, you've never, you haven't failed him. You've not failed him to the point that he can't restore you. He is in the restoration business. Come on now. He's ready to make a covenant. He will, he will give it to you. It, it wasn't about your failure anyway. It was about his goodness and his, and his faithfulness to you. And now when you get here, just lift up your hands and your voice and just say, Lord, restore me. Restore my soul, Lord. Feed me, Lord. Feed me, Lord Jesus. Yes.
Yes. Yes. Yes. Yes. Don't be looking for a way out. Start looking for a way in. This is good right here. This is good. Yes. There's a sweetness of the Spirit of the Lord moving around this place right here. And the glory of God is resting on us right here. And I can see it everywhere. Reach out your faith to God. It's okay. Tell him, I feel inadequate, Lord. I've, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. The Father's been waiting for you the whole time. He's bringing you in. He's ready for you. He is the lifter of your head. He's the restorer of your soul. He is your keeper. His promises are yes and amen. He's not given up on you. Oh. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh. Yes. That's right. We're taking, this is the moment of your life. I'm feeling this all in this place now. Come on, set your priority right now. Set your priority right. You are blood bought. You are purchased with the precious blood of Christ. He did it for you. He did it for you. You are not of this world. You are of God. You are the people of the Most High God. You are going to live soberly and righteousness and godly in this present world. That's right. You are, come on. You are not going to live an ungodly, unholy life. No. You're going to escape this life because it's temporal. You are working and marching for a higher home and a greater calling. Come on, rise up and be the joint heirs of Jesus Christ. You've got a great inheritance waiting for you. It's an awesome thing. It's a wondrous thing.
Come on, just give me a few more moments here. Just all the saints, we're just praising him now. We're just giving the Lord glory, all the saints. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray let the sons and the daughters of the Most High God put a new language in their mouth. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not thwart the blessings and the provisions of the covenant that you gave by the things that we say, ignoring the wonder of your grace and your mercy. I pray that the apostolic church would rise up and recognize what they have been given by the virtues and the blessings that were afforded to them, not by their own making. Now, I thank you for the church, Lord. Bless the body. Help us and keep us. And I pray every word and every prayer in the name which is above every other name, the name you gave, the name that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that you are Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray it. Seal the word today. And I thank you for it. And all the people said, amen.